Welcome to Friendship with God. Today, Tom Cantor will teach us from Genesis chapter 1, how God took detailed care into making the temple of the Garden of Eden for man, so that God could have an intimate and personal relationship with God. Now, this message is available for free download at iTunes.com by searching for the Friendship with God podcast. Again, that's iTunes.com or going to friendshipwithgod.org. You can listen to them or download them all for free, friendshipwithgod.org or iTunes.com. Search for the Friendship with God podcast. You can also go to friendshipwithgod.org with your iPhone, iPad, Android, or smart device and go there to our website, friendshipwithgod.org, and you'll find information on how to add the Friendship with God podcast app on your smart device, all for free. Now, you can also donate online at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. We could not air this program, this Bible teaching, Old Testament teaching radio program, without your financial support. And we do need your financial support. So please call us at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. Or go online to friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. Or again, the number is 800-247-3051. Now, also at friendshipwithgod.org, you can sign up for Tom Cantor's Daily Devotional Verse. That's Tom Cantor's Daily Devotional Verse, just a small verse from the Bible. And then also a short commentary, just one, two, three sentences uh, about that verse that will help encourage you along your way with your daily devotion, Monday through Friday. Sign up at friendshipwithgod.org or look for Tom Cantor on Facebook. That's Tom Cantor on Facebook. You can search for Friendship with God or Israel Restoration Ministries. You will find Tom Cantor there on Facebook, and you can find that daily devotional verse there. Or again, you can have that sent directly to your phone or email through our website, friendshipwithgod.org. Sign up online, or again, find Tom Cantor on Facebook. Now, here's Tom Cantor teaching us today how evolution robs man of knowing God through his creation. But the Bible-believing Christian sees all creation as decisions of love by God. How it's described how light came to be. God said, right? God said, let there be. God spoke, let there be. Okay, there was light. Okay, good. Now, where else do we see in this first chapter God creating by speaking? Where do we see that? Verse 6, God said, firmament. Okay, another one. Nine, okay, God said, waters gathered. 11, God said, grass. 14, God said, lights. 20, God said, waters bring forth abundantly. 24, God said, earth bring forth living creature. But something changes in this pattern when we get to verse 26. What is it? Yeah, let us, which is like, there's not God saying here, it's like God, a consultation There's a consultation. Let us make man. Okay. Now look at the first part of uh, chapter 2, verse 7. He formed. He formed man. Remember that's the word, yatsar, from the potter. You know, he formed. He took dust of the ground. We didn't get this. This didn't happen before. And with his own hands, God has now formed. Now look at the second part of verse 7. What is it's unusual here? He breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. God breathed man, he breathed into man life. 
Something from God left God, went into man, and man became alive, alive. Alive. You've heard of the kiss of death? This was the kiss of life. Man's life stems now, as we're told, from, from something that comes from God and goes into man. Something that they have now in common. Something, it's life, it goes into man. Something from God, his breath, now goes into man, and man becomes a living soul. Now that this is very unusual. So now he plants a garden. God plants a garden. God himself plants a garden. And then he puts man who he had formed, in, formed into the garden. So what did he do differently when a garden? He didn't say, and let there be a garden with a lot of plants. That's not what's said here. He didn't say, and let there be man. You see what's going on here? There's a progression that's going on. A progression from creating matter to creating animals by speaking And then we go from that to a progression of consultation, let us make man. And then we go from that to a progression of creating or forming with his hands. And then we go from there to a a, a progression of breathing into man and, and planting a garden. Okay? So what happened here? It's a progression of increased involvement. You see that? It's increased involvement. See, God didn't say, let's make man will be our image. He breathed into man. That's it. He breathed into man. He gave him the kiss of life. You know, when you kissed your spouse, you got, that was momentous. You got increasingly involved. You were involved. <laughs> the same way that God got in, was going in increased involvement. Involvement of what? Of himself. Increased involvement of himself. Sees so the creation moving toward man, and we see that God is, is now, he's not going to let the angels do this or anyone else, but he's going to do it himself. He's going to do it himself. Does that remind you when he said, I go to prepare a place for you? This is so important. I'm going to do it myself. I'm not going to let somebody else do it. I'm going to do it myself. When he came to redeem man, he didn't have an angel or some other being die for man. He did it himself. He got involved, personally involved. And we see this pattern here in, 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 uh, in the first two chapters here of God moving and getting more personally involved. Why is all this important? Because it's showing that as God moves toward his special relationship with man, he's getting more and more involved, more committed, more giving himself to this intimate relationship that he wants to have with man. It's an increasing involvement. You know what you see in that? You see the seeds of the gospel. That's what you see. You see the seeds of the gospel. Why do you see the seeds of the gospel? Would you think that God would go to all this commitment, all this work, all this trouble, all this involvement in the creation of man just to lose him forever because man sins? That's not God finishing the work. That's not God finishing. In this involvement of the creation of man, God has committed himself too much to fail just because man sins. Now Moses got a hold of that principle. Moses was a good lawyer. Moses was a good, he knew how to leverage. Moses knew how to leverage. He knew how to push the button, push God's button. And he did that in Numbers 14. And I'd like for you please to turn to that. Numbers 14, that was a good thing that Moses did when he was arguing uh, here because he got a hold of this principle. In verse 11, 
And the Lord said unto Moses, How long will this people provoke me, and how long will it be ere they believe me for all the signs which I have showed among them? I will smite them with the pestilence and disinherit them, and will make of thee a greater nation and mightier than they. That's pretty serious. That's some pretty serious words. In other words, God's saying, I'm finished. Just step aside, and I will destroy the people. That's a very serious situation. This is the record. This is the record. It's very embarrassing, but you start with Exodus, and you go through, and you have this this record of provocations, and of discontent, and of complaining, and of murmuring, and this is the record. I think I told you one time, I went to go see my cardiologist, Dr. Goldberg, and he said to me, oh, Tom, you have a heart murmur, and I said, that's okay, my people are known for murmuring. So... You know, we just got finished with Passover. And there's this song that is sung in Passover called Dainu. Anybody ever heard of the word Dainu? You know, die, Dainu. It means it's enough. It's enough. And, you know, when you look at the words of that song, it's like, uh, it says some things like, uh, if he had brought us just to the Red Sea and hadn't parted the Red Sea, that would have been okay. That's enough. Dainu. That would have been enough for us, you know. And if he had... Actually, no. How did it go? If he had brought us through into the, the, the desert and hadn't given us the bread from heaven, that would have been okay too. That's Dainu. That would have been enough. You know, it goes through well, one after the other. I look at that song and I say to myself, you know, if that's not a rewriting of history, I don't know what is. You know, and I think to myself, you know, maybe it's me. Maybe I have a memory lapse or something like that. But I don't remember it that way. You know, I remember them coming to the Red Sea and, 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 and not getting bread and ready to kill Moses. They weren't sitting there saying, you know, Moses, it's all right. It's enough. It's fine. We're very content, happy people. We never complain. We never murmur. And that's just not the way it happened. The record does not show this people coming there and saying, it's okay, it's fine, it's enough. That's not it. Because the record shows quite the opposite, and unfortunately this is one of the times here. But when Moses realized that God was ready to destroy the people, in verse 13, he says, And Moses said unto the Lord, Then the Egyptians shall hear it, for thou broughtest up this people in thy might from among them, and they will tell to the inhabitants of this land that they have heard that the, thou, Lord, art among this people, and that thou art seen face to face, and that thou cloud standest over them, thou goest before them by day in a pillar of cloud, in a pillar of night by night. Now if thou kill all this people as one man, then the nations which have heard of thy fame will speak, saying, because the Lord was not able to bring this people into the land which he swore unto them. Therefore he has slain him. See, Moses, he knew the button to push. And he pushed the right button. Because this is true about God. God is a finisher. God says, and so in essence, God could say to Moses, you're right, Moses. We're going to save the people. God's going to save the people. So this is really Moses, Moses, really driving with God. Look, God, how involved you've been with the people. Look at the involvement that you've made. I mean, you went to the trouble of making the, the, uh, the fiery pillar and the cloudy pillar and so forth. It's all your involvement. And so God's involvement was the guarantee that he would not cast off the Jewish people. That's what it is. God's involvement with them, because it was God who got involved. And that's what it is with man. God has become so involved, as we've seen here in Genesis 1 and 2, in making man and setting up the place to have this intimate relationship, that even when man sinned, that he, God would leave heaven for man and die for his sins. Turn, if you would, to Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18. Isaiah 1, 18. 
Now, this part here is where God makes this invitation to man, and he says, he says in Isaiah 118, Come now and let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow, and though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Now, man looks at this invitation of God, where he says, Come now and let us reason together, and man says, How can I reason with God? How can I reason with God? What, why would he reason with me? How could God want to reason with me? What's the basis of this? Well, because God is a finisher, and from his involvement in the creation of man, we see his commitment to keep on going on to have this intimate friendship with man. So he makes this invitation, come now, let's reason together. Well, what's the reasoning together that we are to come to the table with God over? The reason is for the reason that man is a sinner. For what reason does God come to the table for man? For the reason that God is a savior. That's the two reasons. So God says, come now, let's reason together. Here's man, he's over on this side. And here, here's God like this. And so what happens is that here is man who needs a savior. Here is God who is a savior. And so God calls out to man and he says, come now. In other words, turn. You need a savior. I am a savior. Let's reason together. Let's come together like that. Your reason, you're a sinner. My reason, I'm a savior. We meet together. And he says, and if you do that, then your, your sins will be washed away. You'll, you'll be cleansed from all the defilement. See? That's God's involvement with the creation of man. We see his commitment to go on. And that's why in these chapters here, we see the seeds of the gospel already starting to show itself. God has a very, very special interest in man. Now, he has also a very special interest in the garden. And so that was the, because those are those remarkable words that you mentioned. You know, it's where it says, and the Lord God himself, he planted the garden. I don't like to plant things, but God planted things in this garden, and he put man that he had formed there. He took a real special interest in this garden. Very special. Why? As if, as if he was saying, this garden has got to be right. This garden has got, has got a very important place. Why is it so important? That's going to be the place, God was going to say, where I'm going to meet with man, and I'm going to make sure it's right. It's just got to be the perfect place. You know what that's like? That's like the other meeting place that God has for man later on. You remember the tabernacle? So turn to Exodus chapter 25, verse 8. There we have the famous verse about the purpose of the tabernacle in Exodus 25, 8. Okay? Here it says about the tabernacle. And let them make me a sanctuary. Why? that I may dwell among them. That I may dwell among them. That's the purpose. A place where God would meet with man. A place where God would have friendship with man. A place where God would be with man. That's what he said. That's like the Garden of Eden. That was the place where God was going to meet with man, have friendship with man, be with man. Now, I want you to look at three verses here in, in Exodus 25. Exodus 25 and 20. Okay, start with the first one. Exodus 25, 40. 
and look that thou make them after their pattern, which was shewed thee in the mount. Now, another one, please read uh, Exodus 26.30. And thou shalt rear up the tabernacle according to the fashion thereof, which was shewed thee in the mount. And the last one, Exodus 27.8. Hollow with boards shalt thou make it, as it was shewed thee in the mount, so shall they make it. All right, three verses, three, three times the same thing is emphasized. What's emphasized? Don't you deviate, Moses. Don't you deviate. I showed you this pattern in Mount Sinai, and three times he said to Moses, do it the way you saw it. Do it the way you saw it. Do it the way you saw it. This meeting with man is so very, very important to me that the place is so very important. I've designed it. I showed it to you at Mount Sinai. You make it exactly as you saw it, as it was showed to you. That's just like God himself going and planting the Garden of Eden. It was a very special place, very important to God. It teaches us something. What does it teach us? It teaches us how important it is for us to meet with God. That's what it teaches us. It teaches how important it is for us to meet with God. When do we meet with God? In our quiet time. In our quiet time each day. All this care that God went to to, to, to make the garden just right, to make the tabernacle just, the right, just right, it shows us that God is very, very concerned to have a place to have a time, that it should be conducive, that it should be right to meeting together with God. That's what he's showing. We were created to have this intimate relationship with God, and God set it up for us. And that time of our quiet time alone with God, our daily quiet time, is so important to God. Now, you may say, oh, no, but you don't know my schedule. You may say that. I have so many things pressing me, pressing on me. I, I, sometimes I just can't. I just can't have it with God. Sometimes I have to miss my time with God because something else comes. You know, God knows the pressures that we have. He knows each one of our pressures that we're under. And he knows that there's going to be a tax from the outside to rob us of that time. He knows that. So what's the answer? What's the answer to that when we have the pressure? Okay, I'm glad you asked. All right, turn to Exodus 25. Or is there in Exodus 25? 25 and verse 20. And the cherubim shall stretch forth their wings on high, covering the mercy seat with their wings. Got the picture? Okay. And their faces shall look one to another toward the mercy seat, shall the faces of the cherubims be. And thou, verse 21, and thou shalt put the mercy seat above the ark, and in the ark thou shalt put the testimony that I shall give thee, and there I will meet with thee. Okay? At the mercy seat. There I will meet with thee. And I will commune with thee from above the mercy seat. Where? What does it say? From between the two cherubim, which are upon the ark of the testimony of all things which I give thee in commandment unto the children of Israel. That's a setting. See the setting? The third room, the Holy of Holies, one piece of furniture, the ark. Above the ark, place called the mercy seat. Over the mercy seat, two cherubim with their wings stretched over each other, looking at each other. See? Now, what are cherubim, anyway? Well, you remember, we, we see them a few times, and w- the most significant time, which we're going to be coming to soon, is when man is expelled from the garden, and then God put cherubim at the entrance of the garden to guard and keep the garden, right? So what do cherubim do? 
they protect God's interests. They are fighting swords, flames of fire, so forth, fighting creatures that protect God's interests. They fight for God. He says here that this is the mercy seat. That's where I'm going to meet with you, above the mercy seat. I'll commune with you there, abide, dwell, hang out. You just take those words, I will meet with thee there. And then he says, from between the two cherubim. Very important he said that. Between the two cherubim. Why? Because they are protecting the place of God's interest. God's interest, the Garden of Eden. God's interest, the tabernacle. God's interest, your quiet time with God. They protect that time, that place. If you decide, if you decide, because it's our decision, we decide to keep the keep as a first priority that nothing is going to disturb that daily quiet time appointment meeting with God, you can count on God's cherubim there, the the fighting warriors of God, to protect the place. It's such a graphic picture, isn't it? Where the wings are spread over it as if if they're saying, someone want to disturb this time between this person and God? You're going to have to deal with me. That's what the cherubim are really saying. And so he's to protect the time. So whether it's the Garden of Eden, whether it's the mercy seat, whether it's your closet, whether it's your bedroom, whether it's your, your wherever you meet with God, you can accept his invitation, come, and you can count on the cherubim to protect that place. But the question is, do we do it or not? It's our choice. Do we want to go there or not? All right, so this morning... What we've seen is all this care that God took into making the temple of his meeting place with man, the Garden of Eden, because he wants to have this intimate relationship with God. And this really is setting us up for the next chapter. Why? Well, because if you were the devil, I don't like to say that. I don't even like to say the devil. I'll be the devil's advocate. But anyway, forgive me for saying it. But if you were the devil and you hated God, and you were the eternal enemy of God. And you're sort of sitting on the, the sidelines here, and, and you're watching God become more and more personally involved in having this intimate relationship with man. I mean, you see the whole thing with the let there be's and, and, the, and then the going to the consultation and the forming with the, the hands and the planting in the garden. You see God really stepping out of himself here and getting more and more involved. And you want to hurt God. You want to attack God. What are you going to do? You're going to destroy that relationship. You're going to destroy to destroy that relationship because you can see how God put himself into it. You can see how this is really important to God to have this intimate relationship with man. And so therefore, you, if you were the devil, I know you're not the devil, but if you were the devil, then you're going to sit there and you're going to strategize, how can I destroy that relationship? What will it be? Sin will do it. Sin will destroy it. See? And so that sets us up for our next chapter. But praise God, there's better, better chapters coming other than chapter 3. Okay, let's, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for being the God who finishes what you start. Thank you so much, Lord, for becoming so personally involved as we've seen here in these chapters. And we thank you, precious Lord, for that time that even when we sinned, you became so personally involved that you left heaven. You dressed yourself in the frailty of man. You became a man, a perfect man. You endured everything that was put upon you, the mockery, the spitting, the contradiction of sinners, and yet you did all of that to you poured out your precious lifeblood for us. What involvement, Lord. Thank you that you are the same yesterday 
in the, in the, in, uh, the Garden of Eden. Today, Lord, and you've saved us from our sins. And forever, when you'll finish, finally, the new creation and we'll be forever with you in that state of intimate friendship and, and, and presence. Thank you, Lord, for hearing us this morning. Continue to speak to us in the remainder of this day that we might say it was good for us that we've been in the house of the Lord today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining Tom Cantor in the Friendship with God radio program today. Do you have a lost Jewish friend you'd like to reach with the gospel, maybe even a Gentile friend? Well, your Jewish friend can be reached by going to friendshipwithgod.org, and you can get a free gift for your Jewish friend. Now, if you'd like some materials to reach your lost Gentile friends, you can find those online as well at friendshipwithgod.org or calling us at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. Help reach your lost Jewish or Gentile friends, 800-247-3051. 3051. Let Tom Cantor help you to do that. Now, Tom Cantor's also got a resource this month called the 18-Day Calvary CPR Book. It's a wonderful book that will teach you how to inhale scriptures and exhale with a prayer to God. Calvary CPR Book. Now, Calvary CPR stands for Conversational Prayer Reading, or as Tom Cantor puts it, Bible Breathing, where we just, again, inhale a verse from the Bible and exhale a prayer, a response back to God. This will help you draw closer in your friendship with God. And it's our resource this month for a donation of $20 or more towards the Friendship with God radio program that help keeps us on the air with this Bible teaching radio program from Tom Cantor. So support the Friendship with God radio program and get the 18-day Calvary CPR book from Tom Cantor that will teach you how to have conversational prayer reading. 800-247-3051. Call us now, 800 247 or go online to friendshipwithgod.org friendshipwithgod.org to our online bookstore or 800-247-3051